0: We are in our sermon series, Walking with Jesus. You may recall, we began the year uh, with a sermon series, Meals with Jesus, sitting at table with Jesus and all these different passages in Luke and learning from him there. And in this Lenten season, we stand up from that table and we walk. And um, these passages that we have before us in the Gospel of Luke each week have Jesus on the move. Last week, it was in the wilderness for 40 days. Today, you heard already. Jesus is walking up a mountain. Let us hear now the word of God from Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 34. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah. Talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, the chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. I remember hiking a few years back, late spring, with two good friends from my high school days in the Catskill Mountains in upstate New York. And you know how it is, you begin your hike moving through that deep foliage and And the terrain is on that kind of mild incline and it moves to kind of an intermediate incline and then some switchbacks start to happen as you're getting higher and higher and and as invigorating as it is to be outdoors and, and moving, eventually you start to feel it, right? That old familiar back ache, a little bit of tightness in the hamstrings or there's the knee again, or the neck, or maybe it's just breath. But then you hit upon one of those switchbacks, and what do you know? And overlook. You know one of those mid-mountain moments where, where there's just that space where you can stop and take in the view. It's not the view, right, the one you'll eventually get to at the top. But it's still pretty great. Right? It's a brief rest. It's a brief reminder of, of what is all around and where this hike is headed. Just before our passage from Luke chapter 9, 28 through 36, Jesus tells his disciples rather straightforwardly, if any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. If you want to follow me, let's be clear. There's a cross, there's a weight, there's a sacrifice. And whether it's the back or the leg or the knee or the neck or the breath, there is something about the very nature of the faith journey that entails a a felt hardship. And then the very next thing we read after Jesus tells them that is, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. Jesus is giving them all one of those views. In this particular moment, you heard, they see Jesus' face changing appearance, his clothes become a dazzling white. We get the sense of this pureness, this this radiance. They also see Moses, who gave God's law to to the people, And, and the prophet Elijah, and it's becoming clear eventually that this Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets with all that he does and says. It's a scene that's reminiscent uh, of Moses when he, when he uh, is on Mount Sinai, right, where he gives the, the Ten Commandments. And, and, and we read there that eventually his the skin of his, of Moses' face, shone because he had been talking with God. The word Luke eventually uses to try to give some semblance to what is being experienced here is this. They saw his glory. In the Bible, glory is a word that speaks of God's presence and and quite literally means heavy or or weighty. There's There's a fullness to this moment that settles upon Jesus and his disciples. And so it's very clear that no matter the questions or confusions or aches and all the rest that may be going on for them on this journey, oh, this is God. This is, this is substantive. This is good. And it's no accident in the Gospel of Luke that this overlook is being given right on the heels of Jesus telling the disciples just how hard the journey is. Right? Because how often... When when the burden gets real. When the weight of the world's pain gets real. When the weight of trying to love another gets real. When, When the weight of trusting God amidst so much that is unknown gets real. When the weight of pursuing Justice in the face of of, of real danger to life gets real. How often, then, do we need a timely overlook, right? One of those mid-mountain moments to catch our breath and see a clear view of Jesus and his kingdom. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's where we're headed. Oh, yeah, that's... What's already unfolding all around. Oh yeah, that's whose hands hold all of this. Where's that particular switchback today? In this Lenten season, in our tired journeys, in this weary world, is it possible that we are nearing a part of the trail where we're coming up on one of those Overlooks. Perhaps it's not as far as we thought. Do you notice how our passage begins? Jesus goes up to the mountain to pray, and as he's uh, praying, all this unfolds. And really, this is a this is a key theme in the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, which Luke also wrote uh, earlier in the Gospel of Luke. After Jesus' baptism, he's praying and. Holy Spirit descends upon him. Earlier, also in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus spends an entire night in prayer, and afterwards, that's when he goes about selecting the 12 disciples. Peter, at one point in the Gospel of Luke, clearly confesses, Jesus, you're the Messiah. And 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 that confession unfolds in the context of Jesus praying. It's not just Jesus. If we turn to the book of Acts, we see the early churches praying, and we read, after they prayed, The place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Or again, in Acts, there's this soldier, Cornelius, he prays. An angel comes to him. Or or Paul and Silas, they are praying in prison, and that's when God meets them and and, and frees them. We could go on in, in, in Luke and Acts, but the point is this. For Luke, prayer is the overlook. Time and again, in Luke and in Acts, prayer is the space where the, this foliage-filled hike opens unto a different space, a different clarity, a different power. For Luke, there is an expansive opening in prayer. And my sense is that in our ever-distracted society where all of us find our attention pulled in dozens of ways at all times, I find actually there is, amidst that, a real and growing hunger for the overlook. I think one could look at, just for instance, the rise in phone and tablet apps that are dedicated entirely to sleep and meditation exercises. So popular. And I think it speaks to this very real hunger we have as a society for some overlook space And while we could spend sermon after sermon on what is meant by prayer and how it is we enter the presence of God and, and and rightly so let me for now just offer two very practical thoughts since prayer is really central to how this whole theme comes together one i have long taken heart in the words of the trappist monk thomas merton when he speaks of prayer and says we do not want to be want to be beginners at prayer, but let us be convinced of the fact that we will never be anything but beginners all our life. This coming from a monk who dedicates his life to such things. It makes me mindful we can go around and around about the depth and the breadth of prayer, and rightly so, but let's just name this simple grace right at the the outset. No matter how far along you are or or, are not, we are all Together, beginners at this great mystery. Second practical thing about prayer. I find many of us are paying much more attention, of course, to Ukraine and Russia. And also then some of us, the Eastern Orthodox Church, which many of us in the West, myself included, know very little about. Even as they are sisters and brothers Of the faith. But I do know that one of the more central prayers of the Orthodox Church is called the Jesus Prayer. And it is repeated numerous times a day by the faithful. And it goes like this Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And in that tradition, many will incorporate a physical aspect to the prayer. So they'll they'll breathe in, actually, the first half of the prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. As if they're breathing into their very selves, their whole selves, the the, the very reality and goodness and weightiness of God. And And then they'll breathe out the second half of the prayer. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. As if exhaling the sin, the brokenness, the ache, the guilt, the shame, the pain. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner, in and out, in and out. What a wonderfully appropriate prayer for a passage which focuses on the unparalleled beauty and goodness and truth of Jesus. Even as the disciples in our passage we heard are half asleep. Breathe in Jesus. Breathe out the brokenness. Have we in these recent days known the goodness of God? Meeting us in our tiredness or our semi-slumberness or our distractedness or our weighed downness. Perhaps we've gathered this day at some unconscious level because our souls ache to stand at that particular overlook again, to know a glimpse of of the love who holds all things together, a beauty that is brighter than the pain, a love that is stronger than all of the death, a faithfulness that is more enduring than all of the unfaithfulness. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, but a word of of warning. You know what my friends and I did when we got to that overlook? We took off our packs, we took a photo, sat down, we ate some snacks, had some water, it was nice. Guys, I said, what if we just chilled out here for a while? You mean just not keep hiking? Yes, a little part of me was thinking, maybe we just let that be our thing for the day. But then, another level, in the back of my mind, I was thinking half joking, half not joking. You know, upstate New York in late spring is really quite beautiful, and the air is so good, and the friendship is so genuine. I mean, what if we just all moved our families here, and this was every day? Could it work? Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you and one for Moses and Elijah. For we read Peter, he did not know what he was saying. Once we glimpse God's faithfulness, the temptation always is to make a home in the gift. And Peter was preparing to spend real physical, mental, spiritual energy building tents to hold that space. All of us, I'm convinced, or we wouldn't be here, all of us have snapshots of God's glory filling us with with its weight, its radiance, its love. And, And maybe one of the more poignant snapshots for us was the church the way it used to be in 1985. Or maybe it unfolded at a certain campground, a certain mission endeavor, a service project a certain person a certain group a certain season a certain church how good oh how good and we are never permitted to stay there the journey of faith is always forward and quite frankly always back down off the overlook and down the mountain that we may do what it's not an accident. They're right on the heels of Peter thinking we need to hold on to this moment for all it's worth. We've done it. A voice from the cloud comes: This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Now that you've encountered my son, trust him. Listen to him. Prayer and worship, they are overlooks. But they are not campgrounds. And if we've been truly encountered the living Jesus, he will speak. And we will quickly discover that his word is pulling us back with him down unto the valleys. So that, get this, we ourselves might be something of an overlook for others. So that we might shine with life and weighty goodness that is illumined upon us. So that through God's body on earth, Others on that trying journey might encounter an opening of light and life. And so, having come this morning and stood together on that overlook, breathing in Jesus, breathing out brokenness, let us now take a moment to listen to Jesus. To hear Jesus speak directly through God's word. And trust that as we we may hear a very specific way or two, that he is sending us down the mountain to show forth light. And so I'm just going to read a few scriptures. One, some may be very familiar to you, but listen if they are not Jesus' word to you as you discern what it looks like to navigate back to the valley. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Rejoice with those who Rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Your enemies, love them and pray for those who persecute you. Oh, do not be overcome by evil, overcome evil with good. Be devoted to one another in love. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows and their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Amen.